the word. So anyone who don't believe women should teach, you can leave now, probably, no. <laughs> Please don't, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, I am a fan of small towns. I mean, I grew up in Spicer, that's small. And uh, I was thinking about Jesus. Do you know where he grew up? Small town. Do you know where he started his ministry? The Decapolis up in Galilee, small towns. I think the most amazing people in the world, many of them come from smaller places. And it's such a joy to be here today. I was thinking of um, meeting Pastor Wirtz. I think we'd been overseas about 14 years. We came home. We were a little discouraged because it happens, you know, in life over some issues, and he said, Jim, I think this church needs to ordain you, and I think you should let us do that. And I thought, I don't want to be a reverend. I mean, really? And it's like, yeah, but it seemed right. And there was such a strength that came. I think that was about 1987, so I know most of you weren't born and understand that. But over the years, you know, I think when in Acts 13, when that church said to Paul and Barnabas, okay, it's time you got to be sent. I think that gave them courage. And I just want to say thank you for the courage we felt over all these years serving Jesus, saying yes to new challenges. And so much of that goes back to that pivotal time in our lives. So I just want to say thanks to you. Um, just a couple of things have changed uh, in our lives. Uh, there's another woman in my life now. Um, I knew that would get your attention. Her name is Avon. She's two, and I promise not to talk anything more about her. But we were together with her in Seattle yesterday, uh, uh, in Seattle, let's see, Friday. And it was just really a treat to have our first granddaughter. And uh, we, we, uh, I, I did get up about 2.30 this morning, and it was jet lag. We've been down in New Zealand for the last uh, two and a half weeks. And uh, yesterday, Judy said, do you realize that we're sleeping in the 10th bed? On this trip, and we still got another week or so to go, I thought, yeah, it seems like about 10 different beds, but we're grateful. God gives grace, and uh, uh, yeah, there's uh, so many good things happening around the world. You know, mentioning about trafficked people, there's this darkness increasing. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be on the increase, but you know what Isaiah 60 also says, God's glory is coming on his people. And so it's both happening at the same time. And I think as we walk with the living God, there's something amazing happening in the church around the world. And we get to be a part of that. So um, we're, we're blessed to be here. Uh, there's, there's a word I felt for some, especially of the younger people, out of John 4. I'll just share that briefly. Uh, Jesus went through this town, Samaria, where it says in John 4, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, but Jesus sat down and asked a woman who came out to give him a drink. You know the story. And here's what she walked away thinking about Jesus. He knows me and he loves me in the purest way. And uh, when he, he started out the co small conversation, I'm learning when you prophesy to people, sometimes it's good to build a little relationship first, you know, it's kind of what Jesus did, you know, it talked about, you know, give me some water, and they talked about that, and where to worship, and finally, you know, what Jesus said, uh, where's your husband, she said, well, 
she said what she said. And he said, well, you have five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And she could have sued him for invasion of privacy. Well, she lived a long time before they had uh, probably lawyers who did that. But you know what? She didn't feel condemned. She felt he knows me. He likes me. She felt honored. And she went and she told people in the town, come and see a man who told me everything I did. And people came. And later it says they believed on Jesus, though they first believed from her testimony. Later they believed from his words. And I, the word that came to me this morning at 2.30 to share with you out of that passage is just that there are people in the town and community around this county, around Montevideo, who have no relationships with people who walk with Jesus. But God wants to give some of you those kind of relationships. He wants to give you the prophetic edge so that people know you love them and you know them and there is something that will cut through the invisible barriers that exist in this community to some of those people. Do you think that could be some of you? I think it could be some of the, those of you in, in school, some of the children. I believe it could be anyone in this room. Because the heart of the prophetic is to reveal the heart of God. He loves me. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He's not thrown by it. And he, he believes in me. He cares for me. So if that speaks to you, I'd encourage you this next week to believe God that you could be like Jesus who meets the Samaritan woman that has no dealings with the Jews. And yet you would be the one that could speak that by your body language, by your interaction to people in this community. Maybe they'll come to church. Maybe they never will. But they will know there is a father who loves them. He knows them. And he cares for them. Uh, a, an up-to-date testimony, and I hope you all have fairly up-to-date ones. We, Judy and I were traveling um, about six months, actually, living out of a suitcase. Can you imagine six months? We got back to Kona, Hawaii, where we live in January. And on that trip, we began to think, you know what? We've been there 13 years. Kona is hot, tends to be expensive. Um, I think it would be nice to live on the mainland. We kind of had talked to one another and kind of only shared with one other person. And we thought, now it's time for a move. And we were excited. We thought we could find a place to live on the mainland. The, the, what, they have seasons. The weather's better. And uh, as we landed back in Kona after the six-month trip, it's like we looked at each other and thought, God wants us here. And the prayer I was praying was, Lord, not your will, but, our, but not our will, but yours be done. Take this cross from us. I know living in Hawaii doesn't seem like being crucified, but really it was something we were done with. And yet we realized God has a purpose for us there. So we've said yes to Jesus many times, but I've learned that saying yes is not just once. But there are seasons in life. And whenever you realize, Lord, I trust you, I don't understand what the future will be, but I know it's going to be good. And we say yes to you, whatever it means. Then there comes peace, there comes grace and provision. And that's been our testimony. So we are delighted to be living 
most of the time in Kona, we do travel some. And uh, actually, we get back for a couple weeks uh, later this next week. And then we uh, head off to Scandinavia for four weeks in uh, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. And we're, we're grateful to have ministry invitations like that. But we're grateful for what God's doing on our campus. I think last Thursday, it must have been like 800 new students arrived. We are bursting at the seams. And though darkness is coming on the earth, God seems to be doing something in his church, in his people. And we're certainly seeing evidence of that at our campus in Kona. So we're going to play a four-minute video clip. And then Judy's going to come and share a little bit more about that and a word that I know will bless you. All right, let's go for that clip. This is the campus where we live and work in uh, Kona. Since 1977, the University of the Nation's Kona campus has grown along with our local Kailua Kona community. Formerly an abandoned hotel, today we see a beautiful modern university campus full of young people dedicated to bringing positive change to our local and international communities. With over 500 students coming in from more than 40 nations and going out to over 40 nations every three months, the U of N Kona campus lives up to the name University of the Nations. The University of the Nations and our parent organization YWAM have received more than 4 million students and volunteers globally during the last 50 years. The U of N Kona campus is the largest in a network of 600 plus campuses worldwide engaging in local and international outreach through cutting-edge water purification techniques, healthcare services, food production, clean energy technologies, and many other initiatives. U of N Kona activities are a positive influence within our local community with activities such as Deep and Beyond, enabling both disabled and able-bodied youth to experience the ocean and the many beauties of Hawaii Island. Ohana Court Sports, three nights a week of sports activities and facilities open to the public. More than sport, with pro athletes who help the underprivileged in connection with sports events like the Ironman Triathlon. Weekly meals programs, feeding the homeless at Hale Halavai. The U of N Kona Preschool, which has been ranked as the best in West Hawaii, serving the keiki of Kona for over 25 years with a loving and effective learning environment. Hawaiian language training opportunities and new advancements in Polynesian linguistics with Haleo Ministries. Our well-known Island Breeze Luau's and numerous other artistic, creative, and caring expressions of aloha that we share with our Kona community. As Kona has grown, so too has the University of the Nation's Kona campus, and the grounds reflect loving care for the Aina. Recent development has expanded our housing and classroom capacity to 900,000 square feet for as many as 1,000 students and volunteers who often enjoy shopping at Kona Town's numerous businesses and eating in local restaurants. From our current kitchen facilities, more than 1,500 meals are served daily, making the U of N the largest single food provider on the Big Island. And this year, we are set to open the new Aloha Lanai dining facilities, which will allow for up to 3,000 meals to be served at one time. Just below the Aloha Lanai, the Lokahi Transmedia Center is under construction and nearing completion. Lokahi means unity in harmony, and the Lokahi Transmedia Center will provide 30,000 square feet of media production facilities, including film, photography, and music studios, practice facilities, office space, and editing suites 
for diverse and exciting initiatives in technology, media, and the arts. After the Transmedia Center is completed, construction will continue with the Lokahi Studios multi-purpose building. It will provide 30,000 square feet of robust facilities and sound stages for the development, creation, and fabrication of props, sets, wardrobe, makeup, special effects, and much more. The Lokahi Studios will also provide a professional dance studio as well as numerous rehearsal spaces. Finally, the Lokahi Corridor will be completed with the construction of a 300-seat concert hall as well as a 700-seat theater and television studio. Artists, actors, musicians, magicians, dancers, and performers of all styles and skill will be able to share their creative works in this facility. These venues will make up one of the largest cultural and entertainment centers in the state of Hawaii, bringing exposure and opportunities to the local community. We look forward to these and other new beginnings for our campus and our community as we share aloha and lokahi here on Hawaii Island and around the globe. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, yeah. It's great to be with you. Uh, we didn't show that to you as an advertisement or a recruitment, but if you are interested, come see us afterwards. Uh, but it ties in to what I want to share with you this morning, but I too want to say thank you to this church for particularly the relationship that we've had with you all of these years. You've been a source of encouragement, prayer support, financial support, but above all of that, it's the relationship that has meant so much to us through the years, and we're just so very grateful. When Jim talked about um, the small places and Jesus coming out of the small places, we didn't compare notes or thoughts, but I had the exact same thought this morning about the influence of small places. We've just come back from New Zealand. We arrived back in the States on Wednesday evening. And uh, we'd spent two and a half weeks down there. Part of it was teaching on leadership development into a, a university course with young students. But the other part of our time was we're facilitating a mobilization tour to take place in New Zealand next April in 2014. And the reason, and we want to canvas the nation. It's a team that has got this on their heart to go back and see something reactivated into the nation of New Zealand, calling people not just to leave and go, but also to stay and see transformation into the areas that God has called them to be in. But we are not concentrating on the big cities. Now, New Zealand's only a nation of three and a half, is it three and a half million people? Four million people now. They have 10 and a half million sheep, and we think we saw every one of them. <laughs> In fact, we were, we were flown down there by a ministry, and they said, when you finish your week of teaching as part of organizing and facilitating for this tour that will take place next year, we would like to take you to the South Island of New Zealand because we want to meet with some pastors and churches down there. And we said, oh, sure. Now, New Zealand is known to be one of the most beautiful nations on the earth, and it really is. So we flew into Christchurch, New Zealand, and Christchurch, New Zealand, is one of their larger cities. We flew into Christchurch International Airport. And as we walked out of the airport, it's the first time I've ever seen this, and I don't know if you'll ever see it again anywhere else in the world. As we walk out, in front of the airport is a pasture of sheep. And I thought, right in front of the international airport, 
there are some of those sheep there. But our, our reason is, is that we're concentrating on the small rural towns because that's where influence often comes from. It's from marginalized, the outskirts that you often see people that are called influence. And you know that in missions, if you do study on, on where do missionaries come from, the greatest percentage of missionaries come from families that were missionaries. The second greatest percentage comes from farming and rural communities. There's just something about the good people, you good people, being close to the earth that have some of connection to God. And that's where we want to spend a lot of our concentration. So we hope that you will never underestimate your influence, even though you're from a small place. How many of you are on Facebook? Wow, a lot of you. I encourage you to go visit Jim's wall today. If you haven't seen it, don't do it now in church. <laughs> Do it later. Go on his wall, and he mentioned some of the world-class cities we've been to recently. And then this morning, he added to that list Montevideo. And I think you'll be quite encouraged by the picture that you see. All right, I, I do have a brief thing I want to share with you in regards to this video. There are three things all of our lives, it never changes, that God's constantly working on. From the time that we come into relationship with him until... We meet him face to face, and that is our understanding, our character, and our capacity. He is constantly, all of our lives, working to enhance and bring transformation to those three things. But there's also three other things that he gives us, both personally and corporately. And I'd like to speak to you today like you're, a, you're one person. I know there's probably, what, 100 and 150 people here. But I'd like to speak to you as a, as a community, as a church. Our identity comes from him. And uh, I watched an interview, I think it was 15 years ago, last month was the 15th anniversary of Princess Diana, that tragic car accident she was in. And that struck a memory for me. I remember an interview. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, thank you. I tell people at home that too, and here I'm doing it here. That struck a memory for me in that she conducted an interview a couple years before she died. Maybe some of you remember it was with a, a journalist with the BBC, and he began to ask her questions. And, of course, this was part of the reason that she had such a difficult relationship with the royal family is that she was so candid about her issues. And one of the things that came was revealed in that interview is she said... I do not know who I am. And I thought, wow, here's, here's a beautiful woman with a title, with wealth, with uh, admiration, particularly from men. Um, she's known in the world. She's renowned. And she's saying, I don't know who I am. And I thought, I remember watching that thinking, I can tell you who you are. I mean, I'm not the source of your identity, but I can tell you who you are in the sense of your worth and your value because our identity only comes from God. It's oneness. And as a church, your identity as a church comes from him. And he has it for you. 
there have probably been times and seasons through the generations of this church where God has come again and reaffirmed, this is who I've called you to be. And cha things change. I, the young lady who was giving this uh, report about sex trafficking, I thought, boy, what, a, what an issue for this church to be involved with at this time. It, about David, the psalmist David in Acts, it says, David served the purposes of God in his generation. One of the purposes, it's not the only one, but one of the purposes of God in this present generation is to do something in the area of anti-trafficking. I thought our identity, the identity of this church comes from him. The second thing is our inheritances. In Psalm 47, it says God chooses an inheritance for us. And inheritances always, always, always come through tribes. They come through a group of people, a community of people. God never, ever gave an inheritance to an individual and never will as a loner, as someone who's independent and not a part of his family. He always gives it through a group of people. And I thought, what is the inheritance of this church? There are inheritances that have changed through generations, but there, there's an inheritance now. What is it that God has for you? And inheritances are always battlegrounds. Always. You often, you know, you can't pick up a newspaper without reading about some family being torn apart over fighting over an inheritance. Some years ago, we had a young lady on our team, and uh, she was adopted, and she came from a a family that was very, very wealthy. And her, her parents adopted her when they were elderly themselves. So um, she was raised by older parents, and they decided to also adopt her blood brother. Now, when the parents died, they left all of their money to these two children who were adopted and who were siblings. And after the, they left them equal amount of money, and when the parents died, the brother began to go after the sister legally for her money. Now, she sat at our kitchen table, and we're talking about a lot of money. She would not have had to work for the rest of her life. And she said to me, my brother has caused so much grief and brought so much torment into my life. I don't even care about the money anymore. I would rather just give it to him. But she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, I don't either. I've never come across a situation like this. But I said, let's ask the Lord for his counsel and his wisdom. And we bowed our heads, and a question came into my mind. And I said to her, what would your father want you to do? And she said immediately, he would want me to fight for my inheritance. That's what she did. She took her brother to court, <laughs> and the judge awarded her brother's money to her. <laughs> but, but my purpose in sharing that with you is inheritance have battles to them, and it often has to do with relationships. Now, the reason we showed that video to you is, as I said, it wasn't to advertise. In Youth with a Mission, God is the one, not just in Youth with a Mission, God is the one who sets the boundary lines for what an inheritance is. For us in YWAM, it's the nations. That's why we've created such a large campus to serve hundreds of people, not because we want to be big. It would be actually easier to be small. 
but it's what he has called us to do, and there's an obedience in embracing our inheritance. Now, uh, oh, inheritances are contingent upon obedience. We don't get them without obedience, and they're contingent also upon teaching the ways of God, passing on to another generation the ways of God. I sat here today and I thought, oh, I can't believe we're as old as we are because I thought, remember this front row maybe 15 or 20 years ago, people that have passed on and gone on to God. And I thought, man, time goes by so quickly and now you have another generation here and another generation. I thought, what are the inheritances when God looks down in a multi-generation context, a community for this church? What will you believe for? And what will you battle for? What will you obey for? And what will you teach? And then the third thing has to do, he gives us influence. And I thought, this church has influence in this community. And it has influence globally. But influence is always based on trust. We never allow someone or something to influence us if we don't trust them. And trust is based on integrity. And I thought that's why God is always working on our character and our integrity so that our testimony has authority to it. There's influence there. Do you know that there was a study done, I think it was done about four or five years ago, on tracking where did the global recession start? Now, it's particularly hit America in, in a hard way, but it's hit other nations as well. It's global because it's a domino effect. You know where it started? It started in the hearts of a couple of men through a lack of character and integrity and greed and dishonesty. They began to tamper with the housing market, with loans that were given, and it started there. And I thought, boy, talk about a loss of influence, all based on a lack of integrity. This, is, this church, God wants to mark it afresh, I think, with its identity, what its inheritance is, and its influence in the nations. Now, it requires embracing who we are and also embracing who we're not. That's what humility is. It's saying, I know who I am, but I also know who I'm not. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not comparing myself to somebody else. It has to do with unity. And unity is not having the same opinion. It means that we can disagree without disconnecting from each other because unity is something of the spirit. And I would encourage you, guard it with everything that you have. It is so precious and so priceless and so costly when it's lost. Guard your unity. And therefore, ask the Lord, Lord, what is the sphere now of our influence as a church? What is it that you want us to be seeing transformation. And one of the things that we're doing on this tour in New Zealand is, of course, it's a missions mobilization tour. We want to see people go, but we're not just telling them to go. We're saying, telling them, stay. If that's what your obedience is, if God's called you into business or into education or to arts and the media, and it's in your home city, stay there. But don't just be a Christian that has a job. Be a Christian that has influence, who sees transformation in that area so that we can see what God is like, what it looks like through the media and the arts, through government, 
through education. I thought it's so interesting when you think about young people. If we went through this church day, I thought, I bet we would find so many of you are interested in film, in media, communications, injustice issues. I thought that is the purposes of God for this generation. How will you serve it? And will you recognize then the influence that God gives you based on your character and your integrity? And the other thing I add to that is we cannot influence that which we do not love. The scope of our influence is determined by our love. Someone asked us last week, and Jim and I were teaching on leadership. They said, what do you think the most important thing in leadership is? And, of course, we often answer a question like that based through our gifting. And Jim said, it has to do with being focused on the future. And as soon as he said that, I thought, he's absolutely right. Now, he thinks about the future all the time. He lives with a foot in the future. This church should be living with a foot in the future as well. <laughs> Because of, look at the kids that you've got here and, and the teenagers. But it's also based on love. We cannot influence that which we don't have a commitment to and a love to. So I want to encourage you, find your identity, rehearse it, underline it again, say this is the identity of us as a church. This is our inheritance. This is what we believe that God has set the boundary lines for us as a church. And third, Belief for an influence in this community, in this state. Think, but don't think with borders that are rigid. Think about the global influence that this church has. What has come out of this small farming community? We remember years ago, before some of you were part of this church or before you were born or before you grew up and were aware of it, that there was a drought here many, many years ago. And I think there was a series of special prayer meetings called. And at the same time where we were living in southeastern part of Europe, we were believed to see a breakthrough in the nation of Albania. And if I understand right, there, was, there were times that you were praying, oh God, give us rain here. And someone came to the prayer meeting and said, let's believe for rain here but let's believe for rain there. Let's join with the Ords and others to believe to see a breakthrough come in the nation of Albania, which had closed off its borders. It was the uh, first nation in the world that declared itself, we are 100% atheists. There's nothing of Christianity that exists in this nation. Well, that was a joke in some ways because you can't undo God. <laughs> You can't rule him out of a nation. You can't take him out of the hearts of people. And there was a remnant of believers there. And we began to see a crack in the foundation of that nation that had become so hardline. But at the same time, there was an outpouring of rain here. And I remember the connection that was made here by people that were members at that time saying, hey, when we begin to pray outside of our own, for our own need, for what God was doing globally, he came and blessed us here. And I thought, don't underestimate the influence that you have out of this small place. Now, if, if it's all right with you, Bruce, I'd like to ask if we could stand for an application. And before you stand up, let me just say this. One of the things that we do in our training that we so think is so important, and it's also... Um, 
a truth that we've discovered is we just don't teach. Because if we just teach, it stays here or it stays in a notebook. But we always say we want to leave time at the end for application. Saying, give God an opportunity. Is there anything that you want to speak to me about? Is there anything that you want to take, Lord, that was in my head and apply it to my heart that I'm now to apply through an obedience? So you don't have to stand if you don't want to. But I'd like to invite you to, if you'd like to stand and join with me and say, Lord, we want to believe you for a fresh understanding of our identity as a church, what our inheritance is in this place and in the nations. And third, we commit to doing it your way in godliness so that our character and our integrity can open doors of influence. Now, we can't create the influence. It's God that comes and breathes on it. We can't decide what it will be. But our simple steps of commitment to obedience and doing it, it's not just doing it, but it's doing it with the right spirit, in the right way, in the right timing, with a commitment to unity without disconnecting from each other. I think God would want to bless and stamp this church with a new season. <laughs> something that would, would mark you, but also bless you with the continuity in generations so that the children and the children's children, whether they stay in this area or not, they're marked by God during their seasons of life because of how they encounter him in this community. So if that's all right, Bruce, if I can invite you, if you want to join with me, I'd like to lead out in a prayer for you. Lord, we... Thank you for this community, Community Bible, and uh, of the men and women of God who are not here anymore, who either moved on or have passed on and are with you. We thank you for the present uh, community that's here, and we pray, God, for all the acts of obedience that have taken place through the years that you see, the secret things that have happened of obedience that nobody knows about the prayers that have been prayed, both corporately and individually, the conversations that have happened in cafes and in homes and uh, church suppers, the things that you've looked down on through the years that you can smile upon and bless, we call out to you, God, now. Would you mark this church in a fresh way? You are the one that has chosen their inheritance. You have set the boundary lines for them in pleasant places. Now, God, would you stretch them to fill that capacity for which you've given them? May they be faithful to you, in a, faithful in serving the callings of one another and faithful in recognizing in their teenagers and in their children the call of God and what the purposes of God are in those generations. And we just ask you, Lord, that the, the blessing would come, that they would recognize the good things that have come from you, that there will be a guarding of their unity. I pray particularly where there's vulnerability, Lord. May vulnerabilities be shored up. May relationships be strengthened. Your principles work. May families and marriages be strengthened. May there come a greater spirit of adoption into this church for those who don't know you, for the foreigner, how you want to bless it and reflect all of your diversity through it. 
I feel like, Lord, in some ways you have given keys to this church that have to do with the kingdom in this community. And I pray they would discover some of those new keys on the king ring to unlock the doors of opportunity that you have. So we bless them, are so grateful for them, are so proud to be associated with this church. In your name, amen. Was that excellent or what? Come on, let's give them. A few years ago, I was at um, a conference, and they were talking about, you know, and obviously pastors want and churches want a fruitful ministry. And this one guy was giving some of those keys of fruitful ministry, and he, you know, and he, he was listing some things, and, and there was a couple that, that stood out to me in in as it relates to what Judy said, but one was unity, one was godly leadership, and then there was another one that said, uh, fruitful, having fruitful partnerships with excellent people. And we have that with Jim and Judy Orrid. Um, when we are partnered with people in relational partnerships with people like this, it, it is just an awesome thing for our church. And we have had the privilege, again, if you don't know them, we've, been, we've had the privilege of being partnered with them for many, many years. And uh, it's just awesome to have you guys here today, and I encourage you, if you would like to afterwards, you can uh, chat with them in the foyer, and uh, you can find out more about their ministry, what they do, um, uh, ways that you can be partnered with their ministry. I'm sure they would love to talk to you, and, and, and so uh, that they'll be in the back um, as we close. But let's pray, and as we pray, let's pray for them, pray for their ministry, and, uh, and just ask God to continue to speak to us. Father, we love you today. We thank you and praise you for this word that came into our hearts today. And Lord, I, I do pray, Lord, as Judy said, that Lord, it would move beyond just our heads, but it would move into our hearts. That God, we would have more than head knowledge. We would have transformational knowledge of what you're speaking to us individually and corporately. And Lord, we in turn, as a church body, want to pray your greatest blessing over Jim and Judy and their family. God, in the ministry that you've called them to, thank you, God, for giving us the honor and privilege of being partnered with them in relationship. Oh, God, just to see what you're calling them to do, literally going around the nation, training people, training the next generation, speaking life into people, um, individually coaching and, uh, and, 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 and groups and and, and just seeing your fruit in, in, in and through them, Lord, it's just a privilege to be a part of that. God, we pray your greatest blessing over them. And we ask, God, that you would just continue to speak to us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God. We love you today, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, have an awesome, awesome day, an awesome week. If you can join us tonight at 6, it would be great. Worship and prayer night.